three, two, one. Welcome to Sounding Point Podcast. My name is Joseph Christensen, and with me today is Cherith Premawardena. He is a string player of all sorts, and he is a, um, a Bay Area icon, the founder of Classical Revolution, an organization that presents classical music performances in non-traditional locations all over the city and now all over the world. Featured by the New York Times, The Economist, and SF Chronicle, uh, Strings Magazine, and many other publications, Classical Revolution has spread to chapters across the United States and overseas. At the beginning of this pandemic, Cherith put on a, a gargantuan <laughs> live stream, stream project through Classical Revolution, um, which was actually one of the first things I ever did with this podcast. So thank you for um, for bringing my fledgling podcast on to your live stream. I, I interviewed Monica Gruber on her performance and promptly lost my internet connection in the middle of the interview. Just that perfect live stream experience. So that was really nice. But uh, man, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Joe. I've been following uh, a couple of your previous podcast guests. Looks like you have some uh, some pretty uh, some pretty luminary uh, <laughs> guests on there. Evan Kahn, you know, it's nice to hear yeah. his interview. Mm -hmm. uh, you were in a string quartet with Evan, is that right? That's right. So we were we played in a string quartet for a few years when we were in school together, and a little bit after. So that was with Justine Preston. That's right. Yep. And. And Claire, Armand. Claire, yeah. I played with Claire last week. Awesome! Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna play with uh, her at a wedding and Evan. Actually, we're gonna do a wedding, uh, all socially distanced and Pleasanton next week. So things are starting to happen again. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of duo performances like on the street. So mm -hmm. the thing I did with Claire was at uh, Ghirardelli Square. They have a weekly series there. Um, and they have different kinds of bands, like rock bands and jazz bands. And somebody recommended that uh, they call me because I've been doing a bunch of duo performances here in the Mission District. Uh, and I have I have one main guy I've been playing with who's uh, I don't know if you knew, know him. He's kind of new in town. Uh, this guy Scott Moore. So he I'm and I've been playing a lot. You know, he's a he's a pretty versatile violin player. You know. And uh, like me, he plays, he's a switch hitter, so he plays violin mm -hmm. and viola. Uh, but he also switch hits in the fact that he does classical straight ahead playing as, as well as uh, more uh, improvisatory jazz mm -hmm. playing, you know, as, as I know you're in the same boat. And mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Many, of, uh, many of our friends are not just doing classical music anymore on their violins, which is, which is cool and fun, you know, it's nice to be versatile and be able to do different things. So. Anyway, Scott and I have been playing together a lot, and uh, I've I've kind of just been developing my uh, my comping, you know, where I I can just like as a viola I can serve as the bass and the percussion mm -hmm. and just like be the rhythm guy, and then I let the other guy just like play the melodies. But then we could all, we could always like switch, you know, so right. do some trading as well. Mm -hmm. So Scott, Scott and I have been playing together a lot. He has a day job, so this the performance last week was. Friday at like three o'clock, so he wasn't able mm -hmm. to do it. So Claire was able to fill in, you know, and it was pretty last minute. So, you know, and she's she can she's uh, she could definitely like 
<laughs> do some shredding as well yep. as like really good classical reading, you know, so yep. it's cool to have her. She's a uh, super versatile. Shout out to Claire. She's an awesome improviser. Yo, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> she can play jazz. She can play bluegrass. She can. I hear bluegrass stuff. Awesome. Yeah. 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 Amazing. So it's, Do our belt. Go ahead. Oh yeah. Just turn around for a second. <laughs> okay. It's um interesting how I feel like this city. I think this city is probably a microcosm of every every major city, every cultural center in the United States. In that you have kind of this interesting crossover element. I, I mean, I like to think San Francisco is especially uh, rich when it comes to crossover and just kind of creative musical styles popping. I mean, I, I play in Quartet San Francisco, very crossover, very different. You have done, I know last year you did your Abbey Road arrangement and um, you've, you've done so much this crossover. How did you get into this I, I suppose, did you always listen to other styles of music? How did you get into applying different different stuff? Yeah, well, I grew up uh, I grew up listening to rock and roll, you know, and uh, I guess my parents were into the, uh, I mean, we had, we didn't have any Beatles records at home, but we had some Simon and Garfunkel. So and then I was listening to uh, rock and roll radio when I was, when I was growing up. And uh, then I started getting into classic rock, and I was like, "Wow, this old, this old rock and roll music is so cool," you know. And uh, I think I'm a little bit older than you, so like when I was growing up, it was you know when I was when I was starting high school, it was uh, around the time of grunge music, so yeah. like everybody was getting into Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all that stuff. Um, and so uh, yeah, I kind of just like grew up with that stuff, and then. Uh, but like I was always, I never like I, I started playing guitar when I was in high school, just like learning learning chords, you know, just mm -hmm. learning songs. And you know, like my first song was like "Free Falling," so it was just oh, like yeah. kind of the easiest <laughs> song to play on guitar ever. And my second song I learned how to play was "Blister in the Sun," which is probably the second easiest song to learn how to play on guitar. <laughs> hey, <man. laughs> um, Good progression. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But then. Uh, uh, you know, I, I never really started listening to jazz until I went to college and mm -hmm. I had a friend who was really into jazz, you know, and he would, this was, uh, I started college at Oberlin and then I transferred over to Ohio State in Columbus because mm -hmm. I knew the teacher there really well. Um, but then uh, we, he used to take me out to, to jazz clubs in Columbus. And this was actually when Christian House was still living in Columbus nice. when he was starting his jazz career. So we used to go listen to Christian Howes play, you know, oh. um, and before he went to New York, before he, uh, before he made it huge, you know, and he was just like gigging in Columbus, Ohio at, the, at local jazz clubs. Uh, but there, there was like a really good local jazz scene there in Columbus. And so, there's like two or three clubs we used to go to. So that's when, you know, that's when I started broadening into jazz, you know, which was, uh, which was like a, a revelation for me. Mm -hmm. Um, but still, you know, like my, my roots, my, like growing up, you know, was, was in rock and roll as well as classical music. Hmm. And it, did you start improvising and actually like diving into the jazz uh, repertoire at that point? Not until, yeah, not not so much until, uh, until I moved to San Francisco in 2004 to do chamber music uh, at the conservatory and graduated in 2006. While I was in conser while I was at conservatory, I was looking for ways to like 
branch out and do different stuff and interesting stuff, you know. And I was very new to San Francisco, so I didn't know the depth and range of what was happening here, you know. Yeah. But um, slowly I found out, you know, I think I remember one of the first things I did is I went and recorded viola on a hip-hop record. And I, I, I remember driving out to, like, East Oakland. <laughs> I wasn't sure like what I was getting into. Uh, it was it was pretty weird. <laughs> like, I, was, I was living in the sunset, you know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was. I, th- I guess I was pretty open to doing different stuff when I moved to San Francisco. Um, uh, but then I, I I auditioned. I auditioned for and joined the punk rock orchestra because a friend of mine, Ian Dickinson. Shout out Ian Dickinson. Who's a, he's a bassist and a composer. And like also while I was like at the conservatory, I was doing a lot of, I was playing a lot of, of music written by student composers. Mm-hmm. And we had some really uh, great composers while I was a student there. It was, it was a really nice time to be at the conservatory. Mm-hmm. It was like the, the guys who are, who, uh, who did the switchboard music festival. If you know mm-hmm. about that, we were, we were students together. And uh, I was there, you know, I was playing a lot with Hannah Adario Berry, shout out Hannah. And she's like, she does a lot of cool stuff these days. Uh, but the, like the composers who were there, you know, Juwan Kim was the classmate. Nice. I was playing a lot of his music. Cool. Shout out Mick Nauj Ensemble. I was there for the early stages of Mick Nauj Ensemble. And uh, before I was the Mick Nauj Ensemble. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Ian Dickinson was, uh, he was a jazz bassist. So he, he, he got involved with the punk rock orchestra. So he like, he kind of, you got a s- several conservatory people. <laughs> you probably never heard of the punk rock orchestra. The punk? No, I'm not familiar. The punk rock. Well, it, it was around since like the '90s or so, mm-hmm. late '90s, and then like it kind of died away. And they're trying to bring it back, but basically, it would be like 50-piece symphony orchestra backing up a punk band. And <laughs> we did shows. We we did a few shows at like Slims and at the Swedish American uh-huh. Hall. So that was kind of my first taste into doing something that was non-classical. So I was like, um, <laughs> but then since then, you know, I've, I've just, I've, I've been doing so much, you know, and I, I, so when I graduated, I moved to the Mission District. I was living in the Sunset. Well, the conservatory was on 19th Avenue, the Sunset. Mm-hmm. And I moved to the Mission and there was so much happening in the Mission. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Well, it's like, this is, this is before, like, this is before our modern, tech boom where yeah. uh, the mission was like still pretty grungy it was grungy for a while but it was still pretty grungy and there was a lot of artists and musicians living there because yeah. it was cheap yeah, yeah. My, the first place they rented in the mission was $250 a month wow God. <laughs> this was in 2006 you know my, my buddy was had a storefront and uh, and uh, he was just he, he he built it out, you know, we had a small kitchen and a working bathroom, you know, it was like, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty like rudimentary, you know. But, uh, how much, how much would that room go for today? Well, it's, I don't think it's a room anymore. It was like, a, <laughs> it was like, I think it used to be a barber shop, and then my friend's cousin was using it to uh, store his ceramic supplies, you know. Uh, but yeah, I don't know that that's, that location is probably, yeah, it's probably 10 times that or something. <laughs> The um, I was curious because you're in, you're in the mission right now. I've I uh, escaped the city. I, I mean, I miss it a lot actually. But I, I'm out in Livermore. There's there's not as much going on out here, <laughs> but it's yeah. uh, it's kind of nice. 
I mean, well, there, there's there's not as much going on in general. Yeah. With our current state of pandemic society. Uh, but going back to uh, to uh, crossover stuff, you know, and it's like so when I was living there, when I first moved to the mission, there was so much happening. There was like a lot of mm. there's so many venues, so many musicians living there, and like everybody was playing in the neighborhood. And mm-hmm. Revolution Cafe was kind of the headquarters because like there was live music every night. That was the place where all the musicians and everybody everybody was hanging out there. Mm-hmm. Marcus Shelby was playing there a lot. If you shout out Marcus, you know one of their preeminent jazz bassists and composers in the city, you know, and he still lives like a few blocks from me uh, nice. in the Mission District. But you know, he was playing all the time. And the guy who was booking music was Joe Lewis, and I don't know if uh, shout out Joe Lewis. He still lives like two blocks from me, so I see him around. But he was, you know, he really wanted to get like a nice cross section of music happening at Revolution Cafe. So, you know, there was like a folk music, uh, uh, like get together every Saturday, and then there was jazz every Tuesday. And there's a lot of jazz, but you know, everything from Balkan music, and there's still a lot of Balkan music mm-hmm. happening there. Well, not right now, but so I mean, so he kind of started Revolution Cafe on that trend, on that trajectory of being open to many styles of music so when i when i when i moved there we were we were hanging out there a lot and it was it was like one of the few places where you can like sit and have a drink and watch a band and have a conversation and it was it was always free you know and like every like you know everybody was always very generous and the reason joe like ended up leaving revolution cafe because he was always having fights with the owners specifically about paying the musicians and mm-hmm. that's kind of like an ongoing thread you know <laughs> through all of this was like yeah. treating like venues that, that relationship is is always tricky and difficult between venues and musicians and audiences and how to balance yeah. that and make it work yeah but uh but yeah but like living there being at revolution cafe then i started playing with jazz mafia and they were playing every tuesday at bruno's so that was like my tuesday hang was going to bruno's every week and those guys are so cool and they were doing so much innovative and like diverse stuff you know um so yeah just like going from there and then i, I play, was playing a lot with eric jacobson and his he's, he was doing some uh small group stuff you know so cool. um so yeah it was it was and then i started playing with the indie rock band and then we did a tour and then started playing with rupa and i played with mcleet mm-hmm. and did some touring with rupa and the April Fishes, a lot of shout outs here. So yeah, I know <laughs> a lot of shout outs. I've, I've been bad. I haven't, <clears throat> I haven't put like the shout outs in the description or anything, but I'm going to, I think, uh, I think it would be cool for people to know they're being shouted out and, you know, eventually this podcast should have more than four listeners. So yeah, I'm going to do that. And that's, it's freaking awesome. Yeah. So so yeah, um, it's like a very fertile, um, very fertile yeah, ground for crossover. It was happening. It was happening. You know, it became so cool that everybody wants to live here, and now it's yeah. not affordable anymore. Yeah. Thanks, thanks <laughs> a lot. I don't know if it's all our fault. <laughs> we might be partly responsible. <laughs> mostly, I think it's yeah. Mostly, I think it became it became easy and nice for companies to move to San Francisco. I think there were uh, some tax. Uh, situations you know i don't know i don't know all the details i try i try i dabble in politics but it's, <laughs> i'm mostly uh what do you call it when you don't really know about anything but you think you do 
Oh, um, I was Idiot. Say, <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a word I, for I was that. Thinking too hard. Uh, yeah. I was going to say apolitical, yeah. but I think you're looking for something else. Apolitical, yeah. So it's been fun watching the debates and everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's been uh, this has been fun. Let, let's just use the word fun. It's, it's um, fun. It's yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I I do have to give one more shout out. Which was uh, ten years ago, which would be 2010. There's a lot that happened. We've been having a few ten year anniversaries. Like last year was uh, going back to Jazz Mafia. Last year was a ten year anniversary of uh, uh, the uh, Adam Thies wrote this 60 minute jazz hip hop. It's not. Ju- it's like jazz and it's hip hop and it's also Latin <laughs> jazz and it's like so much stuff went into this composition. It's like one of the coolest pieces of music I've still ever listened to. Uh, and he called it Brass Bows and Beats. We did it, we premiered it 10 years ago, I believe, uh, 11 years ago, and then we toured it 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, we, the first show was a 60 piece orchestra, jazz hip hop orchestra. Wow. It was like a row of saxophones, a row of trumpets, a row of trombones, two flutes, two French horns, two basses, two keyboards, two drummers. The most we had was like 12 strings or maybe 16 strings. Uh, Four singers, three rappers, and a DJ. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. So much fun, though. You say you toured that? Somehow, like he he got a nice grant for the composition from yeah. like their votes, so he was able yeah. to like put it together and 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 everybody got paid for rehearsals. That's the coolest thing about that whole thing is like everyone still got paid decently, even though there's yeah. so many people. Yeah, but he had like a he had a, a good support. I think he had a producer or somebody who was backing the tour. Yeah. But we were doing uh, we did like pretty established jazz festivals. We played we played at the uh, Hollywood Bowl, the Playboy Jazz wow. Festival. Before that, we did Harmony Festival, which was up in Santa Rosa, which mm-hmm. it's kind of like a smaller festival, but you know, it had like a pretty big acts on it. Like, yeah. did you guys uh, play at the San Jose Jazz Festival? We did San Jose. We did Monterey. I think this is a crazy thing. I think I saw. I, I know uh, I saw you there. Yeah, that, that before I went to the indoor show, it was like at a theater or something. An indoor yeah, show. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I saw that. I it was before I went to the conservatory. There are some great crossover string players on that, including uh, Mad Stolling and Anthony Blea. <laughs> Shout out. Shout out. <laughs> but then we yeah. took it to the East Coast. We played uh, we played Montreal Jazz Festival. We played at the Poisson Rouge in New York. Wow. And we played at Newport Jazz Festival. <laughs> and we had Curtis Stewart shout out on that show. I think he was on the Newport show. Who uh, he's he's a great jazz violin player in New York, kind of up and coming. Mm-hmm. He's in a string quartet called the Public Quartet, and they're getting a lot of mm-hmm. uh, good press and recognition. Yeah, he's he put out a couple of really cool like videos recently. So it's been really fun seeing what everybody's doing, you know, with their with their creative ways of making music in pandemic pandemic times. Yeah, it's been. Um a it's like a golden age of content it's like whatever the opposite of a golden age is in like real life <laughs> but like for content and musicians producing things online it's been a golden golden age 
Um, yeah. So what have you been doing? You've been uh, making some videos with QSF and other people and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're making some more videos and that's been fun. I'm, um, you know, I'm kind of, um, with the, I'm trying to figure out the right way to say it. I feel like for the podcast, there's like a, a honeymoon phase and I'm interested to see what you think about this as a starter of things, but there's like a honeymoon phase where you start something and you're like, this is the best, you know, I'm going to grow. This is going to be the biggest thing ever. And then, you know, you, it goes on for a month, two months, three months. And you're like, okay, am I committed to this? Is this project going to stay, you know? And I'm, I'm reaching that with this podcast of figuring out, okay, what's the work-life balance? How many of these am I going to do a week? What am I going to do to make the content the best I can? How much time am I going to spend on the podcast? So anyway, so that's been, this has been my main extra thing during the quarantine. Yeah. You know? So besides yeah. that, you're, are you, you still have a, a teaching studio? Yeah. So I've been teaching a lot. Thank God for online lessons. <laughs> that saved my butt. And um, yeah, th- I mean, so far it's been stable. Like so far people have still wanted their kids to have their extracurriculars. So that's been a, a huge thing for me. How about you? Yeah. yeah. So you're doing the, uh, the sidewalk concerts? Sidewalk concerts, you know, I was pretty bummed out, you know, during the fires and smoke where couldn't uh, even do, couldn't even do our sidewalk concerts. Man. You know? so I was getting ready to, uh, to get out of here. I, I, <laughs> I saw that here. status. <laughs> Where, where were was, you thinking about? I was just thinking about doing a road trip, you know, seeing the country. Yeah. A couple of my friends have been doing that, you know, like just That's a good idea. Yeah, you know, I have I have some friends who uh who who are in a Beatles tribute band, like a really serious, like really good Beatles tribute band, based in uh Cincinnati, like Cincinnati area. But they did a huge road trip, but like with really nice video equipment, and they got mm-hmm. amazing shots like all over the U.S. Like awesome. uh, drone cameras, you know. So mm-hmm. there's a you know a lot of people are doing uh, seeing the country kind of things. Yeah, a lot of people are doing video content. Yep, and a few people are doing podcasts. Uh, have you checked out? <laughs> Have you checked out Lewis Pastner's podcast? Yes, yeah, he was um, one of my inspirations for. Yeah, for yeah. I think he was, he was yeah. Only, uh, it's like yeah. it's funny. I I've probably only met him like once or twice. I mean, we're, we're not yeah. close at all, but but he yeah. I was aware of his podcast for a long yeah. time. He he was the original Bay Area musician. Podcast he was the Godfather podcast. of Bay Area classical. <laughs> he was the podcast. Bay Area Podfather. Shout out to Lewis. <laughs> so um, no, that was really. Um, one of the one of the inspirations, um, I think, in some ways, what you were doing with the live stream, also just seeing you were putting something out every single weekend, I was like, man, I don't have any excuses. I got, I got a little burnt day. out on that, I have to say. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> you did, I let's let's go into that because you did like some twenty four hour like insane live streams. How did so? How did it start? And then what was like the peak insanity? How it started was, you know, when when the pandemic hit, I was, I was, I was wondering what to do with myself. You know, I've been doing, I've been doing a live show uh, at Revolution Cafe or a different venue yep. every week for the past fourteen years. So it's just kind of been that routine of doing at least one show, usually multiple shows. You know, so I just kind of like, I kind of wanted to keep that going just because I'm used to having that schedule. 
And uh, at, at, like, I came up with two ideas, which was the uh, doing a, a live stream show. And I don't know, I don't know why or how I thought that would work, you know. I, I and it like it didn't. I felt like it didn't need to be perfect, and everyone's using like their cell phones, and yeah. sometimes yeah. it cuts out, you know, and sometimes like the internet's not great, and it was definitely not perfect. A lot, of, you know. Uh, but <laughs> I, like I, going I, back I to <laughs> no, was, a lot of it was really great. Like we, like. There's some really amazing content that came out of those. You know, you, you kind of have to like dig through it a little bit if you yeah. don't know where it is. Because like right. each show was eight hours long. With uh, like we started out with uh, it was on Saturdays. It started out with fifteen sets, wow. meaning each yeah. each set was half an hour, and the final set was an hour, mm-hmm. basically. <laughs> but it was it was a uh, it was it was a uh, it was a way for me to kind of reach out to people I haven't seen or talked to in a while. Um, and we had people like each week there was somebody who was out of the country, usually mm-hmm. in Europe. Yep. We had a really great violin player who was, uh, who, who, uh, streamed in from Brazil. Uh, couple, so like, it was like people from all over the place, you know? So yep. that was like a really cool aspect about it. Um, so yeah, I was thinking, I, I wanted to do something like that. And then I had the idea of doing a live stream, not a live stream, but a virtual orchestra, kind of like an Eric Whitaker kind of thing where everybody sends in their videos, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of, I didn't, I, I underestimated the length of time and work it would take to put that together. Yeah. That was in March and I'm still working on it. <laughs> it's, oh, <yeah. laughs> it's getting close. Like yeah. people, people are really good at submitting their videos in time. And I have, I have 64 submissions. I have a 64 piece orchestra I'm putting together of uh, Beethoven's Coriolan overture. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to at least get it done before Beethoven's 250th birthday, hopefully sooner, but it's, um, it's getting close, you know, did you do so like, those are the two ideas I wanted to do was the orchestra and the, and the live stream show. Did you do it to click track? How did you get people to play together? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, every everything. It's on a steady click track. So yeah. there's there's no retard dar, retardados or ritenutos yeah. or rubatos written in the score. So I was like, let's just like play the score and play it yeah. like at tempo. And that's kind of like one of my biggest things, and a lot of people don't like that about playing with me. Is like I don't really like slowing down when it's not written. <laughs> You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, or even in general, like, and that maybe that's part of my rock and roll mentality mm. is that I just like, I just, I like it to, uh, to just groove, you know, yeah, and to just like keep going, especially if it's not written in the score, you mm. know. And sometimes I even like pushing the tempo, right? I'm like, as a viola player, like, I have that luxury because I'm like playing a lot of motor rhythms and stuff, but then like violin players are like, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I was almost gonna. I don't know if we want to swear on this, but there, yeah, they would use some kind of expletive to, yeah, yeah. to say like, you know, what are you doing? You know, you <laughs> there, yeah, there were a couple memorable times where uh, you know, pretty, pretty decent violin players were like, I can't play that fast. You gotta <laughs> use off the use off the pedal there, man. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, it was like Revolution Cafe and playing there. It was always so much fun because. We, we could be spontaneous because, I mean, we were playing, it's like, you know, like our reading sessions there. What, uh, I forget how many times you've played there, Joe, at Revolution. A few, yeah. I've probably played there four you times. You played with your quartet or you came for some reading sessions? Um, I've come with a, 
a group shout out to Jasmine Nagano. I played uh Brahms Horn Trio. Um that, I think that was the first time I played at Classical Rev, actually. And then there ever since then I've probably been to three or four reading sessions. So I mean for the reading sessions we we do stuff that we know, but uh uh but it's unrehearsed, so it's we can't I, I, I encourage like taking risks and yeah. <laughs> doing stuff that like you would not do if uh if your coach was there, you know, at the conservatory. Um, so, I mean, it's like that, that would happen sometimes where I, I was, cause like, you know, we're playing for a kind of a rock and roll audience. Over yeah. Here. It's not your yeah. typical classical audience. They don't understand that. Like, Oh, like this rubato, that's how every, they do it on every recording. You know, they don't care about that. They know, like, they know what they listen to it. They know, like, what they groove to and if it's grooving then it's cool you know so mm -hmm. i always like that attitude you know in general with music um i, I forgot where we, where we started <laughs> on this stuff no that's a great point i thought but, uh, um, i was i was teaching an adult student yesterday who has who is more of that kind of rock background at least what he listens to and everything and he was trying to get me to explain so why are you slowing down there like why do you play longer at that note and i'm like explaining rubato to him and he's like but is it mathematically going to add up like rubato you're supposed to take away here and add somewhere but it's not going to add up right and i'm like you know what it's not <laughs> it's just that it's very subjective you know so it's kind of interesting that difference the, the, that difference in attitudes the way i feel i feel about it i i, I feel like music is a is an art form the uh, the canvas of which is time and so when we alter or manipulate the time, it should be for a very specific reason. And I feel like a lot of the time, the reason is technical deficiency. Mm. Either, mm. <laughs> either that or, or the reason is uh, that's the way it's always done, which I don't think that's a great reason. Dang. Called out. <laughs> Called out the classical music industry. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not to say that. I mean, yeah. I mean, just like I guess that's my personal experience. You know, not too like I'm not going to shout out anybody for technical <laughs> deficiency right now. Let's no, see. But, I mean, um, there's so many great musicians that I just I like to push the issue, and we have the freedom there at, at Revolution Cafe to do that. You know, because it's like. It's, it's kind of low pressure, you know, slow stakes, yeah. low oh, pressure. It's super fun. It's super fun. Um, Are we getting close gonna, to time here? Oh, um, let's see. Uh, yeah, before before we go, um, I think we have 10 more minutes or so. Um, I wanted to just run through um, classical revolution with you just because I think it's fascinating. As you were saying, right, so you were out, out of school in 2006, right? So this is before the, the tech boom as it currently has, has manifested. What? It was around that time. It was like YouTube started in 2006. Yeah. I remember yeah. like YouTube would, was coming to Revolution Cafe to try to get us to like post content. Nice. Like, I, 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 <laughs> that's one of those things about like documenting and everything. Yeah. I just never got around to Dang. doing that. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's interesting. Um, but yeah, that was around the same time that the – that this dot com was starting was, was right. So I because you know last podcast I did it's becoming a theme of the show, which is like the how 
classical musicians are staying or becoming relevant or interacting in our modern world in such a way that we are adding to the cultural richness of our world rather than isolating ourselves off in an ivory tower. And it's just fascinating to me that, you know, to paint the picture. So you had this incredibly um, diverse and incredibly um, rich sort of set of jazz and punk and Balkan music and all these different styles of music. But in a way, um, it was very stratified because you didn't have classical revolution, right? So I, I think it'd be interesting to compare the the classical music scene back then with what it is now and then maybe see what it could be. But correct me if I'm wrong, there was, besides the opera, besides symphony, besides the ballet, uh, besides a few chamber music venues, was there really a place to play in the city that people knew about? Um, as a, you mean as a, as a freelancer? As a class, yeah, as a classical musician. I was playing a lot. Uh, well, I, I was doing a lot of symphony jobs back then, mm-hmm. but like a freelance Philharmonic kind of thing. So that's right, right, right. So there's there's the regional orchestras around the area, right? But besides that, you know, uh, what was going on? Well, I don't know. Like, I, I think there's, like, as you said, there's been a handful of things. Like, I, I talked to, uh, uh, shout out Sam Bass. You guys know Sam Bass at all? No, no. Sam Bass was, uh, he was kind of one of the, one of the first guys who was, like, doing cello, but, like, doing rock and roll and, like, doing mm-hmm. it really well. Yeah. Uh, it's, like, in the mid-90s. But he, he had a quartet with Anthony Blea and with Graham Jennings, who went on to play in the Arditi Quartet. They were playing at Cafe du Nord, like, once a week in the mid-'90s. So, like, that, those, are, those guys are kind of our regional forefathers, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think back to, like, uh, uh, Bad Heimovitz, who was doing a lot nice. of stuff, clubs yeah. and stuff like that, you know? So mm-hmm. he, was, he was kind of a, an originator. And for myself, I, I experienced classical music at a bar when I was living in Houston. I had to grad, mm-hmm. grad school at Rice. And there was, a, there was a series put on by Houston Symphony musicians called Bar Music, bar, B-A-R Music, which was, a, it was a all contemporary music taking place in a bar in Houston. And I thought that was really cool, you know? Then when I, when I was a student at conservatory, I was... Uh, uh, my teacher Jody Levitz, shout out Jody. Uh, uh, she, uh, I was, I was trying to find a venue for my recital because, like, uh, you know, I was, I was late in booking the hall, as many students are because and there's only like spots, especially at the end of the end of the year. You know, there's only yep. so many spots available, so a lot of students will go off campus and do their recital at mm-hmm. a church or something like that. I chose to do mine at the bar down the street and Jody thought it was so cool because she was able to have a, uh, a, a glass of wine at her student <laughs> title. <laughs> Revolutionary yeah. in that regard. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that was a fun recital. I played all music written after 1995. The earliest piece was, was Georgi Ligeti solo viola sonata and everything else was written by people I personally knew either were uh, students at conservatory or other composers who are living, living in the area. 
So that was a little, so like that. That's kind of how I, I, my experience or my my knowledge of like playing in alternative spaces before we started, and then like Poisson and Rouge started at the same time, and they were kind of trying to do a similar kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, to answer your question, there was there was a, I mean, I was playing a lot to the Bart Station when I was when mm-hmm. I was like. Now, like that's kind of like a tradition for conservatories. Yeah, yeah. So we were doing a lot of that. I was playing in a in this quartet with Sam Van Loon and uh, with Joyce Lee and with uh, this girl Megan who doesn't live here anymore. But we we were we were playing a lot together. And I was thinking I was thinking about Mark Sokol. You ever work with Mark Sokol? Oh, uh, R.I.P. The greatest. Yeah, I, I was thinking about the name of your podcast, and that was his big thing was sounding play. <laughs> that's cool, you know. Um, that's true. I I hadn't thought of that in particular, but I I mean I honestly am thinking of getting um, some of his students on, like uh, Joseph Maley and some other yeah. people who worked with him a lot because I only had one year with him, but it was life changing. So yeah, he was great. Yeah. R.I.P. No, yeah, he used to talk about, that's all he talked about was, like, <laughs> where is yeah. your bow? What kind of yeah. sound, sound are you making? True. And true. I listened a little bit to your, your interview with Evan, and you were talking about how how Evan kind of influenced the way you think about string quartet and about your uh, your focus yeah. on sound. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that was that was also his big thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it was really great working with all those guys, with Ian Swenson and yeah. Jody and Axel Strauss was on faculty. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was my teacher for the first three years. So, I mean, oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I think Axel taught Monica Gruber, right? Or yep. she worked. Mm-hmm. Did I you have, were you able to follow up with Monica? And, no, and, haven't, uh, haven't done it yet, but I'd love to have her back on. You should bring. Yeah, she's you know she would she would be able to talk about all those people, Axel, and you know it was really great also as a chamber music major to be able to play with all those guys. So. Yeah. I played a quartet concert with Axel and Jean Michel, and I played with Bettina and Jody. And one of the most, one of the coolest things I did was play with uh, Ian's brother, jo- Joey yeah. Swenson. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We we played a string quartet. We played a Mozart G major string quartet, but I I cannot play that G major string quartet again because like I mean I <laughs> like the way that we played it with him. It was just like. So unique and cool, mm-hmm. like every yeah. I, I mean, I played it so many times since then, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I, I had just, one just like I had one lesson with him. He was really cool, yeah. really incredible musician, interesting person. Yeah, yeah. So I, I guess conservatory. This is like tangent tangent pod right now. It's, it's, <laughs> all good, but, uh, man. I, I guess conservatory is starting up now. With uh, are, are they having in in person classes? Yeah, I think from what I hear, they're they're coming back to in person with the the Bose Center. It's crazy, right? They yeah, built that, that huge new, thing, the brand new campus. Yeah, the yeah, conservatory so, has changed so much. So the Bose Center is residence, and it's also practice spaces and performance yeah. space. Or, yeah, yeah, it's got everything. And it's funny. I think you and I, even though you you went when it was on. Um, was it Noriega? What? No, I, yeah, I, I closed out Ortega Street. Yeah, oh, Ortega. Yeah, um, but and I went, you know, to a um, few years later. But we had pretty much the same faculty, you know, so we worked with the same people more or less. And now it's so different. It's just yeah. been like five years, but everyone, everything's changed. A, a few. Well, so there, Ian, Ian is still there, and Paul is yep. still there. Mm-hmm. And Jean, I think Jean Michel. 
still there. That's that's about it for the old faculty. But crazy time. You, you know what was crazy is is that so I, I, a lot of people like don't know this, but Ian, Jean Michel, and Jody are the same age. Really. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. I think there was, there was some relationship like that. But. That's cool. That's awesome. But anyway, um, Joey is, uh, I think we, do we need to wrap up? Let's see. I was going to say like some nice parting words here. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first, well, I mean, I'm glad I finally got you on the podcast. Um, thank you for working out the schedule with me. I'll have to have you back on sometime and talk more about the old days, talk more about the new days. Yeah, there's lots to talk about. Talk about what's coming up in the future, but yeah, thanks for yeah, hopping on. With me. Things are happening. Um, so yeah, uh, we, we have our next month is our 14th anniversary of classical revolution. And I'm starting to think about like, I, I, I want to do a couple things. We have a couple things planned. So uh, we're planning a concert in half moon Bay at a friend's house outdoors. Um, and uh, another concert in Cupertino at a friend's place outdoors. And a, we have something in the mission planned um, outdoors on 16th Street for a friend series that she's putting on. So we'll have a few things happening around that time. Uh, probably just like a small group of musicians. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't even know if we'll have a string quartet. Do you mind? Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to see like what we can do to that's responsible and yeah, you know, you know like there's a balance between being safe and, and still doing something that is fun and impactful. And so there's, there's a balance there that I think everybody's trying to think about and work out. There's got to be, be a hunger for live performance now. Yeah. Um, I think so, but it, people are still cautious, you know, especially yeah. here in San Francisco and California, yeah. other places, you know, I think people are like, all they want to do is go out and do stuff. Yeah. Um, we we had a COVID scare. One of our one of our musicians tested positive after we had a rehearsal, so uh, we we all hibernated for uh, mm-hmm. for a quarantine for a couple of weeks, and everyone tested positive. So it was, that was Whoa. I think that was lucky. Yeah. Oh, so um, you, you know, No, no, none of us tested positive. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah. Yeah, but like you know, he he had a slight fever and he got better. So it affects different people differently, but. I think everyone's trying to just be safe, you know. But it's it's, uh, it's such a a lifestyle change for all of us, yeah. you know. So I, I I don't hate it. I have to say, <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of like not hustling around all the time. Yeah. And, no, I'm I know, definitely don't miss the commute, to be honest. Yeah, and uh, I'm 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 also very thankful for the federal economic stimulus mm. i mean like the 1200 bucks was nothing but the unemployment stimulus yeah. was significant you know <laughs> sure. yeah. i've been i've been living off that and like doing my little shows unfortunately mm. i mean I, I feel so fortunate that I've, I've been able to work a lot the past few years yeah have a decent amount of savings at mm-hmm. this time i know there's so many people that don't have that and are struggling yeah. so yeah. many people in our music community as well you know so uh um, you know, and it's hard to know what to do and, and how to support. And there's so many people having a hard time, you know. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Let's try to find some solutions. Let's try to. I, I just want to like keep doing good work, you know. And I feel inspired, you know, seeing what everybody's doing to like keep doing what I'm doing to 
to uh, just live and give some inspiration, pass it around. Yeah. I, I had a, before we sign off, um, I had a quick question for you, I think is just relevant for everyone. I mean, I'd love to talk to you at a later time, just about like the, the industry and distribution and all the big questions that are facing us right now. But, but just on a micro level, you know, I'm starting this podcast. I feel like so many musicians are adapt. They have to adapt to this time, right? Um, we don't have a choice. A lot of people are starting things right now. And as you, the, the OG starter of things <laughs> in San Francisco, do you have any advice for like, or just thoughts on seeing a pro like starting a project and having it 14 years later be, be what it is? Like, do you have any ad advice for people starting something? Yeah, I think there's a lot of ideas, you know, I think, uh, I think some ideas are better than other ideas. Yeah. Um, and in terms of like your, your podcast, I, I see like, uh, so many, so many cool guests you've been having present company included. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, Joe Lewis, who I, you know, uh, re shout out, re shout out. I shout out. Yeah, out. re re shout out. Good. <laughs> put, put his name twice in the in the description. Yeah, he uh, yeah, uh, the timestamp. Yeah. But he he gave like the advice he gave me when we first started doing Re classical revolution at the at Revolution Cafe was to just like keep doing it, even if it's like not always great. Just like keep working at it. I don't know, because like he uh, he believed in what we were doing. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he saw that like there was nobody else who was really doing that on the uh, 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 on the level. Not, I mean, I mean, like at, at the uh, not to say like I mean, <laughs> just like uh, regularly. You know, there, there weren't as many people doing it weekly, like putting on a live music yeah. chamber music performance in an alternative space. Um, so like he suggested that we just keep doing it. If it's not only that great, it'll keep building. And he was right. You know, like we started getting like so many great musicians. We had great musicians from the beginning, but then we started getting like so many great musicians coming into play and then it became like a huge thing. Um, so, I mean, like if you have something that you believe in, then just like keep working at it. Um, but like if you lose interest and that happened, I, it happened to me with the live stream thing, you know, it was eight hours every Saturday and it was yep. a lot of prep work. Yep. And I had, I had really good help from, uh, from, uh, my buddy, David Skeeter. Yep. who was like doing a lot of tech stuff, but it was like, the last one we did was 36 hours, which is when you were I felt like I was imagining you just staying awake for you know, four, three days on that is nuts. That was the original plan was to stay awake, but uh, it turned out like, you know, I, I had some people in, in Europe and Asia lined up to do the live stream, but like uh, a couple of them bailed. So mm -hmm. I ended up just like putting on a video playlist yep. for the nice few hours. <laughs> Good and then, and then, oh yeah, then I, I, I slept for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, even with that, you know, like I, I intended to take a couple of weeks off after yeah. that come back but then mm -hmm. I stopped doing it mm -hmm. that was around the same time we started doing our sidewalk shows also right so right so in a way kind of, it's like kind being, of a weekly fix for me so for you it almost obviously there's there's two sides of it there's the side of you have to be consistent you have to just keep going even if you don't get 
insane reward, like right off the beginning. You have to have persistence, but also you have to be flexible to know it's the most valuable. So like if, if you, if what's the most important to you is actually having some live shows and putting out content, even if it's not your, you know, gigantic eight hour thing, then you're flexible to change to that if it's not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you're starting out, you know, you, you, you can't, you can't really just like hold on to one way of, of doing it. So, you know, like I was thinking about a podcast um, and my idea was to have like three people on the same guy at the same time, like kind mm -hmm. of like a round table, Bill yeah. Maher kind of thing, you know? Yeah. That'd be cool. Uh, I still might try to do that. Maybe. Hey, man. That'd be awesome. That'd be great. Uh, but, I, thought, I thought of of the panel form too. I mean, I a lot of the podcasts I like, they have multiple people, and the chemistry between the, the regulars is part of what's cool about a podcast in the first place. So, yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, I, I watched Joe Rog Rogan's podcast. So yeah, yeah. You know, people say different things about him, but you know, I, I really enjoyed like the way he's able to get people to be comfortable and to be like, like to be able to. And like the questions he asks and then it's all like nothing is planned you know it's like the idea of like doing a three-hour show where you just like, yeah. talk for a while you know that's yeah. that's kind of interesting you know? yeah yeah uh, but, but yeah i would say you know just keep doing it but also be flexible as you said you know and listen to your audience and yeah. like if you need to adapt and try something different then do it or do something else you know it just depends like in, listen to yourself also yeah for sure how much do you want to keep doing this like but, but i encourage you to get to definitely like i, I love what you're doing joe thank you man. um and uh you know like you, there's so many cool guests out there that you can uh they can bring on here so i, I think you know there's there you have a a rich supply of of content you know of, that you can, that you can produce from uh from all our friends yeah it's cool true music that, that's that's I mean, why I started this podcast because of like, as a musician, it's so you get to talk to interesting people who are great at what they do and have interesting thoughts. And we get to have that after performances and during rehearsals and, and just in our daily life. And I was like, why would I not share that? You know? So thank you, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I got to have you back on. All right. Yeah. You could do a, right. you could Let's do a part two or we could do something else. Right. Exactly. All right. All right. Do you Sounds have, a, good, you have like a do you have a, a sign off a phrase sign off? We can make one up. Um keep on sounding on point. Yeah. Nope. Okay. <laughs> do you have a better right. one? We can work on that. I would have to think about it. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. All right this man. is I would say like this is uh this is Joe Christensen. Yeah, yeah. Keep your sound on point, yo. <laughs> yeah, dude. Okay. This is Joe Christensen. Keep your sound on point. Yo. <laughs> yo. Oh, I forgot the yo. Okay, I'll, I'll work on it. I'll work on All it. All right. All right, man. Thank you. I'll see you later. Take care.